This is the Black and Blue Report presented by ABC Insurance Agencies. A better choice for insurance. Now from Studio B or wherever the Saints or Pelicans might be, here's Sean Kelly. Hi, everybody. Welcome into the Black and Blue Report podcast. We begin a new week for Saints and Pelicans fans, and we've got a couple of shows lined up for you this week. Here today on this Monday and then Wednesday before uh, we pause late in the week for the uh, final goodbyes and celebrations involving Saints owner Mr. Tom Benson. Uh, Obviously passing last week, arrangements have been set, and obviously we've got plenty of information for you at NewOrleansaints.com. We'll be talking a little bit about Mr. Benson on today's show with our two guests. And uh, certainly we're uh, pleased, as I know the Bensons are as well, uh, with regard to the Pelicans win yesterday to kind of reset things, stop the losing skid, and uh, take a win away from the Smoothie King Center uh, from the Boston Celtics. So back in action tomorrow, the the Pelicans will take on the Dallas Mavericks, and then Wednesday it's the Pacers, and Thursday it's the Lakers. Yep, you heard me right. It's a back-to-back-to-back, all a part of five games in six days for the Pelicans, who stand now sixth in the Western Conference playoff chase. Obviously, that's going to bounce around a little bit more, depending not only on what the Pelicans do, but what, what everybody else does as well. All right, so on today's show, two great guests for you. We're going to talk Saints Free Agency and the legacy of Mr. Benson with Mike Triplett from ESPN.com. And also, we'll focus in on this Saturday's Louisiana Derby as Tom Amos is kind enough to join us today. Tom is training Lone Sailor in the GMB Racing Stable, and he has a real shot at winning on Saturday and perhaps taking Lone Sailor to the Kentucky Derby. And so that obviously is a part of an important and emotional week for um, Mrs. Gail Benson. And uh, obviously the legacy of Tom Benson. And so we'll reflect a little bit on that with Tom Amos and also get a preview of Saturday's race for Lone Sailor. So we've got a great Monday show for you. We're looking forward to our two guests. We'll get right to them, starting with the Saints side of things after this first time out. In 1907, Dixie Beer was a balanced, refreshing lager brewed with love and top quality ingredients, it would grow to become something that connected us. The neighborhood beer of every New Orleans neighborhood. And now, Dixie is back to that 1907 recipe. Original and reinvented, just like its hometown. Visit DixieBeer.com to learn more and always drink Dixie responsibly. Dixie Brewing Company, New Orleans, Louisiana. The New Orleans Pelicans have the perfect way for you to do it big with your buds by scoring the Guys Night Out six-pack presented by Loft 18. Packages are available for select Pelicans home games throughout the season and include two tickets, four beers, and a $20 gift certificate to Loft 18, your ultimate indoor golfing experience, all for as low as $50. Do it big with the next Guys Night Out six-pack presented by Loft 18 on Thursday, March 22nd against the Los Angeles Lakers. Visit pelicans.com to plan your Guys Night Out today. We're talking Saints football on the Black and Blue Report. Let's talk some Saints football. The NFL free agency period in full swing, obviously. And Mike Triplett, one of our favorites, is kind enough to join us from ESPN.com. Mike, great to have you back. It's a busy time of year, I know, and I appreciate your time today. My pleasure. You're one of my favorites, too. Oh, well, 
it's so flattering. It's so nice to have this kind of a Monday, that's for sure. Trip, obviously it's going to be a, an emotional week for the Saints organization with the passing of Mr. Tom Benson. Uh, perhaps before we get to free agency, your thoughts on that and, and what it means, you know, obviously posthumously here for Mr. Benson, but also for the organization moving forward. Yeah, I mean, luckily the, the, the only good thing it is, is is that he had time to prepare and everyone inside the building seems to feel pretty comfortable with uh with the plans that he made to move on with with Miss Gill as the uh the owner and the, the structure in place of the leadership with Dennis Lausch and Mickey Loomis and everyone else that they trusted so much and uh I would think that, you know, for the time being they can carry on as seamlessly as possible except that, you know, as you mentioned, emotions I mean, I guess maybe you can bury yourself in a work, but the, in your work, uh, but there's no question that uh, it's an emotional time for everybody around there. Mike, I think you're equipped for this question, uh, and that would be this: uh, in the lexicon of NFL ownership, uh, where will Mr. Benson perhaps uh, hold a spot? It's a good question. Um, I know. Uh, he, I mean, it, it's remarkable to think about. Uh, sort of what you might call the old guard of, of NFL ownership. It's been a really unfortunate kind of five year span for for some of the for some of the great ones that have been around a long time, like Al Davis and uh Dan Rooney and, and Mr. Benson and jeez, uh, unfortunately the list goes on, Bud Adams and Ralph Wilson and uh but he's definitely in that group of, of people that, you know, he was in a pivotal pivotal leader position. Uh, chairman of the finance committee three times, and I mean his period. If you say he was an NFL owner from 1985 to uh, 2018, uh, you could you could put a big circle around that era and say it was you know part of the biggest growth uh, of the NFL and he was a big part of it. Obviously, a huge growth for the Saints under his watch too. No doubt, and, and maybe for the city too. Let's not forget that I think that out of I think John DeShazer told me this out of the Ten Super Bowls have been hosted by New Orleans. Uh, five of those are under the watch of Tom Benson. Yeah, I know. And, and look, it's even more impressive because that became a lot more competitive uh, in the last 20 years or so. I and mean, it used to be like, all right, let's go Pasadena, New Orleans, Miami, Pasadena, New Orleans, Miami. Uh, and it's starting to get really competitive. So I know uh, a lot of work and effort went into the last probably two uh, and, and hopefully a third to come soon in particular. So uh, I, I know that was a big push he made uh, toward the end. And to come back after Hurricane Katrina was the most special of all Canada's. Mm, certainly so. Uh, let's switch gears a little bit to the present uh, and league news, Saints news regarding NFL free agency. Full disclosure, Mike, I'm in the throes of a playoff run with the basketball team right now, the New Orleans Pelicans. I'm leaning on you to help me reset here. All right. I get a little bit of news about Indomitian Sue. I get some Tom Savage, some Thomas Morstead, but I need you to help me kind of reset where things are with regard to the Saints and free agency and where we go from here. All right, well, I'll put one in terms you can understand as a, as a Pels man. You know, some of the same decision makers we're talking about, I think one of the best moves the Saints made yet was bringing back Alex Okafor on a two-year deal as he's coming off of that torn Achilles. Question mark, but we maybe have some insight into uh, you know how the team feels about uh, key players coming up between the two. So maybe maybe they sign Alex Okafor now and Boogie Cousins in a few months. So uh, mm-hmm. that's a big key for you if you're trying to tie the Pelicans. 
I loved bringing back Alex Okafor. Obviously, bringing back Drew Brees started it all, and that was a huge move. Um, it's been kind of middle of the road, I guess you could say. They've been very active in free agency, but they've actually also shown some restraint. Uh, there were some very big names that they've considered, uh, including Jimmy Graham, who uh, they were very, very close to uh, trying to get him to come back to New Orleans, and I think they bowed out when the money got too high and he went to the Packers. They visited with Muhammad Wilkerson. As you mentioned, they visited with Dominican Sue. They had scheduled a visit with Jordy Nelson, so a lot of household names. But, you know, if the price isn't right, they're, they're not going overboard to sign these guys. So the ones they have signed have been a little bit more solid core player types, like DeMario Davis at linebacker and uh, Kirk Coleman at safety, and uh, uh, who else? Jermon Bushrod coming back uh, to be uh, a backup swingman offensive lineman, and Patrick Robinson coming back as a nickel cornerback. So they're really sort of building the base. And Tom Savage as a, as a backup quarterback. So uh, a lot of moves, but showing a little restraint when it comes to those big, big, big splash moves. What's the deeper story to the Patrick Robinson reboot in your eyes, Trip? Well, it surprised me because there is no question that was a prime example of a guy who just needed a change of scenery. I mean, the Saints obviously saw the talent in Patrick Robinson, and they kept going back to him. They never cut bait with him. Uh, he had some tough swings, and then he had some upswings, and then he had more tough swings, and then he had a big injury. And he admitted that, you know, his confidence was struggling a little bit at that time, and um, he really needed to go somewhere else and, and kind of get his confidence back. So I'm kind of surprised that he wanted to come back here after he had served so well, so well elsewhere. But I, I think maybe, maybe he considers it, the, you know, something that he's more prepared for, and he wanted to conquer, or you know, and it shows that Saints never really lost faith in him. So it's kind of a neat story to see him coming back now, mature and coming, you know, two of the last three years, once in San Diego and once in Philadelphia, were you know his two best seasons of his career. So. It's, it's really kind of a neat story on a team that never gave up on a first-round draft pick. And, uh, and, you know, they needed a nickel cornerback. And as, as he eventually found out, that's really become his specialty in this league, to play there in the slot. And, uh, you know, he uh, had an interception return for a touchdown in uh, the fantasy championship game or one round before that. Uh, mm-hmm. So they're getting a confident, proven type of run for the second time around. If you need to see that reunion play out. Yeah, good point there. And I'm totally with you about being excited about Alex Okafor. Tripp, it's interesting. Over the weekend, I had more than one Saints fan kind of throw the five-year deal for Thomas Morstead up and and react kind of with their nose wrinkled a little bit. I got to be honest, I didn't even flinch um, when I heard about the deal. I, I, I was just so pleased that he was returning, and, and the years didn't make me flinch at all. What, where, where did you fall on that, on that re-signing? Well, I don't know who these fans are that you ran into. I haven't run into those fans. I'm sure they would have been happy with a lifetime contract for Thomas Morstead. Uh, um, you know, that, there were a couple a couple years ago when, when they were in some cap uh, trouble and Morstead's salary kept rising. I started to wonder, you know, is it possible they would ever uh, part ways with him? But uh, I didn't wonder about that for long. And, and then I think last year he had me. 
his one of his two or three best seasons yet of his career. He's worth every penny. He's as good as any punter in the league. He's as good of a guy to have in a locker room as anyone in the league. It's it's the easiest no-brainer signing uh, you can make for a team, and and I'm not even sure that that five-year contract will be the last one. He might sign another three-year extension before that one's over and be punting here till he's almost 40 years old. Amazing, amazing. Trip, is there a free agent out there that you're surprised has not surfaced with a connection to the Saints during this process? Um, I'm a little surprised that after they went after Jimmy Graham so hard on day one that they never, uh, as far as we know, never seriously pursued any other tight ends because I thought pass-catching tight end was going to be such a uh, big priority for them. And then when they didn't, on Graham, then they lined up the visit with Jordy Nelson instead, who is an excellent possession receiver. Um, and and then we haven't seen too much talk about any other receivers. So I I'm, I'd be very surprised if they are done in that area. I think whether it's a pass catching tight end or a receiver that can help them with their third down offense, I still think we're going to see them add one or two guys in free agency in the draft that can help in that area. Um, it's hard to identify who's left that can that can help a lot. Uh, Eric Decker is a possibility that, that I know people have talked about that would make some sense for them, although he's a little bit more of a question mark now at this stage of his career than he was a couple years ago. The tight ends have been picked over pretty good, but that, that's an area where I'm surprised the Saints haven't ended up with anybody at either tight end or receiver a week into free agency. Fair enough. Mike Triplett from ESPN.com with us here on the Black and Blue Report. Mike, you started with, uh, rightfully so, uh, Drew Brees and where this all, you know, begins. Um, looking back now on what, what kind of a deal that, that Tom Conan and Drew Brees have struck with Mickey Loomis, Jeff Ireland, and the Saints, what's your takeaway from it? Well, you know, you're not going to be able to say $25 million a year is some super bargain. Or, you know, <laughs> what a humanitarian. He only took $25 million. But he, he did come at a discount rate for top quarterbacks in the league, especially when you talk about the guaranteed money. Only $27 million guaranteed, which is basically just one year's salary. The Saints could cut him next year and, and not, you know, have any penalty from that if, if somehow he suffers an injury or a drop-off that's unexpected or they decide to go in another direction for any reason. And, and that's what the Saints have really been pushing for for the last two or three years is, hey, we'll pay you fairly, but we just want to pay you one year at a time. And that's sort of Breeze's version of a hometown discount. Um, you know, a, a quarterback like him, and, and, you know, as the source told me, there were other teams out there when he finally got to hear what the interest level was legally on the open market for a day there. Um that other teams were willing to pay, you know, $60 million guaranteed. Um, and I think if he was truly for sale, advertised as this guy's ready to go somewhere else, a bidding war could have could have really ensued. It, you know, if he wanted more money, more guaranteed money, longer years, he could really have uh, forced the Saints to pony up or lose him. But um, he's, he's made it clear the last couple of years, look, I want to get paid fairly, but I'm not going to even use other teams as leverage. I'm not going anywhere. Um, I hope the Saints give me the best offer they'll give me, and I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, Condon can't no, like it makes that total much, sense. But, it really uh, is. I think he understands. <laughs> Obviously, this process is ongoing, and I guess I'm referring to free agency. Um, you know that 
there's no set date to end, really. I mean, and, and the draft will be coming here soon enough. Tripp, whether you're ready to or not, or, you're, or at some point you will kind of grade out the, the Saints free agency here in 2018, uh, where do you think it's headed? Where do you think they'll slot uh, in, a, in a grading scale as we know it? Well, it's so hard to define it um, when, when, when they're bringing in an Indomitian suit for a visit and considering him, though, though I don't know if that was more of just like a get-to-know-you session on both sides. Uh, I don't think they were, like, all out recruiting him. But it's funny because you would almost paint this as, like, you know, a solid, like I said, restraint, didn't go overboard, actively filled a lot of needs that didn't break the bank in any one area. And then if they add, like, an Indomitian Sioux, then, then that entire description is out the window. But, uh, you know, I, I would say uh, – there weren't a ton of guys where I'm like, oh, man, what a bargain they got. You know, I wouldn't call DeMario Davis or Kirk Coleman or even Patrick Robinson a super bargain. But they definitely did that thing where they shopped, which they like to do, in the second and third tiers of free agency. And, I, you know, they just know from their history and their track record, if you're going to say that the, you know, 10 best free agent signings the Saints have had over the last decade, not including Drew Brees, you, you would put them all in that, like, second or tier uh, or third tier range. I think that's where they really like to do their shopping. And so, you know, even if four of the five guys pan out or even three of the five guys pan out, they, you know, they've really sort of spread out their investments. It's not like they're all in on one guy and he has to be the savior. Yeah, uh, well, I love it, love it. Tripp, you got anything in the in the, uh, in the the hopper here that our, our, our listeners and, and Saints fans will be – Eager to read at ESPN.com. What's next? Well, you know what? I, you know, I wish I, I wish I could tell you I've been planning this big project, but I've mostly been just preparing to react to everything that's happening in free agency. And now that that wave has died down, I'll have to move on to the, the next big plan project. But for now, it will be still tracking down these last few moves we think they're going to make and then putting a bow on it. As you said, there will be one of those reviewing the entire free agency when we sort of think that first wave has definitely ended and, and putting a grade on it and giving that kind of review. And next thing you know, we'll be in full-on draft mode. No doubt. No doubt. We'll be looking for that. That's Mike Tripled, of course, from ESPN.com. He's a must-read for any Saints fan. Mike, thank you very much. I hope you have a great week. Um, I know there'll be uh, some things that we didn't expect well, in any way, and uh, obviously I think you'll probably have some thoughts on that down the road. We'll be eager to catch up with you as we turn the corner on the next phase. Anytime, Sean. Thank you. There he is, Mike Triple at ESPN.com. We will take a break, and when we come back, it's the Sport of Kings here on the Black and Blue Report. Stay with us. Now, Uber takes you couch to courtside at the tap of a button. Heading to a Pelicans game, Uber helps you pass on the parking and focus on the fun. And if you're still an Uber rookie, you can get $20 off your first ride with code PELICANS18. Uber, a proud partner of your New Orleans Pelicans. What is big? Big is an insatiable hunger for victory. Big is a fearsome front court with AD and Boogie. Big is packing the stands, showing your team colors, and making so much noise they give you the team ball. 
Come see the Pels hit the floor against Russell Westbrook, Paul George, and Carmelo Anthony of the Oklahoma City Thunder, Sunday, April 1st. Visit pelicans.com for tickets. New Orleans Pelicans, do it big. We call it No Appointment Radio. You're listening to the Black and Blue Report. It's been a while, and it's not often that we get to talk with Tom Amos, trainer with GMB Racing, as he is as busy as it gets. And certainly we're going to pester him here on probably one of his busier weeks as the Louisiana Derby is coming up this Saturday. But he's kind enough to join us. Tom, first of all, great to talk to you again. I know that you're excited about this weekend. But just first of all, how are you? We haven't talked to you in a while. I'm good, Sean. I've been uh, following you and following the Pelicans, enjoying what I think is one of their best seasons, and uh, hope we can make a big push to this playoff run. I hear you, and I echo those sentiments, that's for sure. And then, of course, we'll be looking at your your wing of the Benson organization clearly this Saturday. And, and speaking of Mr. Benson, obviously his passing ha- has got us all in, in an emotional uh, throw here with regard to obviously mourning his death but also celebrating his life as we move through the arrangements this week. Before we talk about the Derby this Saturday, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you for your thoughts on the passing of Mr. Benson, just maybe something about the relationship that you had with him. Well, it really breaks down to two parts. Uh, a lot of people don't know that uh, Mr. Benson had a stable of horses and was very active racing at the fairgrounds up until 1985 when he purchased the Saints. And uh, so really his racing stable was his first franchise that he had. And uh, I was working on the track then and would see him from afar and always just say hello. But that's I knew him simply just to say hello and nothing else. Uh, when, they, when he and uh, Mrs. Benson made the decision to get back into horse racing, uh, you know, the relationship became a lot more intimate uh, with both of them. And it's something that, that, uh, that, quite frankly, I was honored to, to, to know him um, for so many reasons. Um, I tell people that ask about him that uh, he was, first of all, brilliant, uh, second of all, savvy, and, and third of all, you know, by any standards you want to count it, a workaholic. I mean, those three ingredients are going to equal success. I don't care who you are. And that certainly applies to him. He didn't come from a lot and he worked his way up and and the man lived the American dream. So I enjoyed being with him. He was very active and knowledgeable about horse racing as was, as is his wife, Gail. And, uh, it just made for a fun experience. Tom, I know on the football and basketball side, Mr. Benson was one of those employers that loved to, uh, get the right people in place and then let them do their job. Was that the case on the horse racing wing as well? Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, in terms of uh, giving us, in my case, a half a million dollars to buy yearlings with the first time we went around, uh, he, his only input was get the best you can get for the money you're going to spend. He was a value investor. Uh, certainly, uh, we were value investors at the horse racing sales, and um, – you know, we came away with uh, Mo Tom and Tom's Ready and had two in the Kentucky Derby based on uh, him allowing myself and Dallas Stewart to go out and, uh, and and use our expertise and not have to be held back by any constraints. And I think that is a big, big key to how successful we both were. There's a chance it could happen all over again. And here we are, 
laying Mr. Benson to rest this week, celebrating his life, and the week itself will end with the Louisiana Derby. Tom, do you in any way believe in fate or karma or momentum or whatever, but something about the stars may be aligning this week? Could that happen with Lone Sailor? Well, look, on the one hand, he is a long shot, but a long shot with a real chance. When, when you get into karma, fate, and all those other things, I've seen too many horse races that fall into place just based on those things, not to think it's, 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 it's an advantage for us, in my opinion, as we go into the race with Lone Sailor uh, this Saturday in the Louisiana Derby. Lone Sailor representing GMB Racing, trained by Tom Amos. Tom, okay, let's get past all the stars aligning stuff. Let's talk about this horse and the reality of the situation. First of all, we're talking about a horse and Lone Sailor that has built quite a, quite a resume leading up to this derby on Saturday. You're right, Sean. I mean, this is a horse that is grade one stakes placed, uh, which means that he has placed in the race races of the highest caliber that we run here in the United States, and we run very few of those. So he does have what we call class and back class to be competitive in the Louisiana Derby. What he doesn't have is consistency, and a lot of that is based on his mental maturity as much as anything else. And we think that's starting to happen. Look, any athlete, equine or human, if the focus isn't there, you're not going to get their best performance. Uh, the most recent example I can give of that is Tiger Woods yesterday at Bay Hill. You know, getting ready to win the tournament, perhaps, and on a serious roll, he just lost his focus off the tee box on number 16 and hit a shot out of bounds. It was over. It's like that in horse racing, too. So. When Lone Sailor comes to the paddock, the things you want to be looking for is how alert he is and how much he's paying attention to what's going on. And one of the key signs that he's given in the past that he's not as focused as he should be is that you'll hear him actually winning or hollering uh, in the paddock. And that is a sign of a horse that's a little bit nervous, a little bit anxious about what he's going to do in terms of being as I said, focused on the task at hand. And that's so important in horse racing. The race is going to be two minutes long. If his focus isn't right at the start of the race, he's not going to win it. Wow. Hey, that's the horse itself. And, and, and as you've taught me over time here and just me observing, um, there's the horse and then there's everybody else and the complexion of the field. What are we looking at? And I know the, I know the field changes. Heck, it just changed the other day, and it could change again before Saturday. What's the complexion of the field that Lone Sailor has to deal with on Saturday at the fairgrounds? Well, since we last talked, the field is now set. Uh, so it's going to be 10 horses, and when you look over the field, what you see is a lot of horses that want to kind of control the race, be up front in the race. Lone Sailor is confirmed closer, so he likes to lay back and make a run late. Why is that important in terms of the complexion of the field? Think of it in terms of a human race. If you've got a lot of guys out there running and they all are exerting energy early, that means that they're probably going to not have as much energy for the end of the race. Meanwhile, in that kind of setup, if you've got someone that can conserve its energy and take a good finish on the end and use a lot of energy, that's to your benefit. And that's how the race looks to me on paper a lot of horses that are going to be using a lot of energy early while Lone Sailor is not one of those. That's not his way. He'll be laying back and looking to pick up the pieces. So in terms of the setup, we're getting the right setup. 
I, I hate to ask you this question because I'm putting you a little bit in a bad spot. Um, but you've taken several to the Kentucky Derby. Uh, first or second place finish this Saturday for Lone Sailor, which had off to Louisville. So if you if you were to compare Lone Sailor to some of the others that you've taken to the Kentucky Derby, how would you compare Lone Sailor chances this week or in this process as compared to, say, the others? So he reminds me a lot of a horse named My Loot that I ran second in the Louisiana Derby with, was fifth in the Kentucky Derby with, and then was third in the Preakness with. My Loot was a confirmed closer and got the right pace set up. He was a big long shot in the Louisiana Derby, something like 27 to 1, when he ran second, barely beaten, and it's really what launched him into the Triple Crown. I see this race, the setup, as well as the style of Lone Sailor, is very, very similar to My Loot. Uh, that's why early in the conversation I was saying this is a long shot with a real chance. Interesting. Very interesting. Almost as interesting as the name itself. Lone Sailor is truly representative of uh, Tom Benson. It truly is. Uh, You know, I listened to you guys last night on the show, and Greg was explaining how the name Lone Sailor uh, came up. But one of my favorite stories about Mr. Benson, which – I like to think it's part of the reason he's named Lone Sailor is when he was aboard the USS, I think it was South Dakota. So this is a big, big ship with a lot of enlisted men. The captain brought them all on deck uh, and said, is there anyone here that can type? And Mr. Benson raised his hand and was the captain's right-hand man from that time on. Interestingly, he did not know how to type. But I mentioned in this uh, interview early on that he was very savvy. He knew that that was the right job to get. And he was the lone sailor that raised his hand that day, and he was the captain's right-hand man and had a wonderful career in the Navy before he went into the car business. That is a piece of the story I didn't think we'd get to. Outstanding. Tom, I know it'll be an emotional week um, and a busy week, too. Uh, All the best to you and lone sailor. We'll be looking forward to Saturday. And congratulations, I think, on what will be already a great I appreciate it very much, Sean. We're very excited. I'll say this about Tom Amos. He always makes me feel good discussing a sport that I'm not so familiar with. So I appreciate his patience and education today and, uh, of course, his candor as always. We're looking forward to Lone Sailor's performance on Saturday, again, at the fairgrounds in the Louisiana Derby. It is a tremendously busy week. We've got three Pelicans games at home still before a road game Saturday against the Rockets, the Derby on Saturday, and then obviously visitation and a funeral mass for Tom Benson as the week progresses too. We'll be back on Wednesday with our next edition of the Black and Blue Report. We'll be thick, thick, thick with Pelicans talk on Wednesday. We'll also continue to remember Tom Benson and uh, also talk about some Saints football too. So we'll look forward to you being with us on Wednesday. I hope that you have a great rest of your Monday or perhaps even a Tuesday if you're catching this podcast a day after we take So with that, thanks again to Mike Triplett from ESPN.com, Tom Amos, trainer with GMB Racing, and Daniel Salerson with his help here in Studio B as well. I'm Sean Kelly, and we'll see you next time here on the podcast for Saints and Pelicans fans, oh, and GMB Racing fans too, the Black and Blue Report.